Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. So, so good. Hey, we are so, once again, we just want to say how grateful we are that you're here today. If this is your first time, or maybe you've come come a couple of times and you're still getting acquainted with Church for All Nations, uh, we just want you to know how much we appreciate you, we love you, and that Ashley and I, we will be married 10 years next month. We're excited about that, celebrating. Um, we, we actually are, are, are co-senior pastors. So with that, um, it's pretty cool because we get to partner in it. And so we both get to teach here. And so one, every once in a while, it's rare, but every once in a while, we like to do it together, like teach together. So you can kind of hear the male and the female perspective on the text, right? So that's how we're going to do it today. And in light of the fact that we're wrapping up this series on the book of Galatians, Uh, chapter six is where we'll be. We just kind of wanted to just land the plane together. Would that be okay? So we're really excited about that. But before we get to the uh, Galatians today, I'm excited. You just saw the trailer for our next week's new series, Heroes of the Faith. And I am so excited about this series because we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. But talk a little bit about that. Yeah, really, there's a passage in Hebrews that most theologians kind of list as the hall of fame when it comes to faith. And so we are going to look at just a few of the characters that are listed as heroes, true heroes of the faith, and why maybe they are listed and maybe some others aren't. And I love the fact that some of the ones that are listed, when I read through them, I'm like, whoa, 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 huh? That's a hero of the faith? Like, you have to be kidding me. And then maybe others that you think should be listed in there that maybe aren't. And so the idea is that we're going to look at each one of their stories. And we're going to look at what the Lord wants to teach us from their story that we can truly grasp and put in place in our lives today, right? To become more of a hero in this world of faith. Amen? I'm excited. But we are wrapping today this series on Galatians, and I love, love, love this series because it is all about the grace of God. And I think part of the reason that we decided to do this together is that Paul is wrapping this letter up talking about unity, right? He's talking about the importance of unity in the body, in the church. And so what's so powerful is that he's walked through all of these different elements that are important to this church plant, Paul planted this church, and then he heard through the grapevine all of these issues that the church was facing. And so he writes this letter that we call the Book of Galatians, but it's a letter to that church in Galatia. And he is explaining how to get back to the roots, back to the faith, back to the grace and grace only. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right? It's so good. So good. Uh, the last couple of days, uh, Ashley and myself and our two kiddos, uh, we took a, a little mini vacation up to the Olympic National Park area, Lake Cushman. And, and let me just tell you, 90 minutes away, uh, you're in paradise. If you've never been there, just take a drive this afternoon and you'll still get home for dinner. I'm just saying, like, it's 
gorgeous. And so we have a, a friend who has a cabin up there that lets us stay, stay there from time to time. And we had a really great time. And, and uh, on Friday, uh, we went down to the lake. I think we might have a picture up there. Look at that. It was cool getting, getting Clark Griswold to take a picture with my kids and wife. Uh, those of you Christmas vacation, nobody... They only watch, okay, anyway. Um, But uh, we had a really good time on Friday hanging out. And uh, Friday, for whatever reason, it was super windy. It was gorgeous. But on the lake, it was like, I mean, it was just the wind was just ripping through. And it was like, this is nuts. And so we were kind of huddled up at times, you know. But we had this little orange raft that you see in that picture. And it was funny because I put my two kiddos in it. And it was like off the dock. There's like whoosh. like the, You know what I mean? Like, like the wind just pushed them like super quick. And I had to like, you know, grab them, pull it back. And I realized this isn't going to work out. I'm, I got to figure something out. So we went back to the cabin. And we linked together all of these dog leashes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And it was. So, and then I just tied it, the one side to the, to the hook or to the, to the whole the little, what is that thing? The handle? That's the word handle. And then I, and then I tied it to the cleat of the dock, right? And I was like, all right, get in guys. And they were like, dad, are you going to let us go? I'm like, yeah, I am. You know, they put it in there, whoosh, just took off. And they're about, I don't know, 50 feet away or something. And they were all tethered in and you could just see they're just like having the time of their life out there on the waves and everything. And Ashley and I got to talking and we were watching and talking and and watching and talking and this whole thing. And for whatever reason, we must've started just chatting a little bit longer than we were watching. And like, I don't know, 20 seconds went by and I look up and they're not now 50 feet away. They're like 150 feet away. And I'm like, they untied the rope, you know? And so, you know, the frantic dad, I jump in, I'm swimming as fast as I can. And as I'm swimming, I'm looking up and my daughter, Israel, she, she is just giving it to her little brother. And I'm, and I'm, I'm guessing that he's the one that un- untied the raft, you know? So I finally get to the raft and thank God we were still in pretty shallow water. And I grab the raft and she's like, dad, this guy's just ripping her little brother, right? And and my, Fulton looks up with tears. He's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. You know, like, and she's like, yeah, you did. You untied it. I didn't mean it. You know, the whole thing, you know? And I got to thinking as we were looking through chapter six uh, this past week, uh, literally Paul out of the gate uh, speaks to this right here. And he, he really starts talking about what do you do when you have conflict? And I was thinking about that in light of this Friday of, of, of my kids just at each other, right? And I thought to myself, you know what? We as adults do that from time to time with each other. You know what I mean? Like, like, like we just, how could you do that? Oh! You know what I mean? And it's like, it's very, Paul's very clear that that's not the way to handle conflict and sin within community. And so let's look at the text here and we'll just keep unpacking it. It says, verse one of chapter six says, brothers and sisters, Fulton and Izzy. (laughs) If someone is caught in a sin, untides the rope off of the raft. If someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore, say restore, restore, should restore that person rudely. No. He says gently. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, if, if there's conflict, if, if, if there's disagreement, if people are at odds with each other, right? Encouragement to restore this person gently. Because here's the thing. The goal is always to bring them back into, fo- into focusing on the love of God. 
It, it, it's, the emphasis is restoration. And so in restoration, the focus is always bringing them back to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, to remind them of, of who they used to be, but who they really are, right? It's setting them back in line, and, and you do that gently. There's a finesse to it, right? There's a way, there's an art to do that, because it all goes back to what Ashley was talking about, this principle of unity, those who live by the Spirit. And we talked about we all really unpacked that phrase last week in, in chapter five. What does it look like to walk and to live by the Spirit? This is another little litmus test, if you will. How, are, 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 are you a person who pursues this process? Or is this really hard for you? And you can get a nice little gauge of how you're walking by the Spirit. The reality is that the enemy understands how powerful we can and will be if we decide to be unified. I mean, scripture is so clear, and I quote this all the time, because I think if we begin to grasp this, we will change the way we do life. Because scripture says if one can send a thousand to flight, a thousand demons, a thousand of the enemy, then two, if we're actually unified, it's not 2,000, it's 10,000. And so... Paul understood this, that this is one of the first places that the enemy's going to try to attack this church in the same way that the enemy is trying to attack each and every one of us. Because if we remain unified as the body of Christ, there's nothing that can stop us. Amen? So how many of you are visual learners? I am a visual learner. Pastor JF is a visual learner. So what we have for you today are three symbols, three visualizations that we want you to always remember. They're going to help you when you encounter this type of conflict with your brothers and sisters. It's one thing to have conflict with people outside of the body. This is conflict inside the body. And sometimes that can get, sometimes that can get even more gnarly. How many of you know that? So the very first visualization that we want you to remember when you're thinking about conflict, when you're thinking about unity, when you're thinking about making sure that you're restoring each other gently, the very first one is wood. Everybody say wood. 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 Pastor Ashley, what are you talking about? Wood. Galatians 6, 1. Let's read it again. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. I talk about my family a lot. Most of you, if you're brand new here, I grew up in the South, and I'm very, very close with my family that's all still there. My dad is one of my favorite humans on the planet. I'm very close with my parents. My dad is such an interesting man. He's what I like to call a Renaissance man. Anybody know what that is? He's the guy that can do everything literally can do everything. And what's even more remarkable is that my dad does everything with just one hand, which is also a story I'll tell you later. But in another sermon, right? He can do welding. He can do carpentry. He can do plumbing and electrical and mechanics, much like my husband. 
That's not true. Yeah, this is true. I love him for very different reasons. <laughs> Stay in your lane. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Oh, exactly, exactly. My dad is a master craftsman. And so growing up, the house that I grew up in, my dad always had this wood shop behind our house. And part of my weekly chores, any students out there? Weekly chores. Anybody else know anything about weekly chores? Yes. Part of my weekly chores was that I went into the wood shop and I cleaned it. And I organized the tools, which is part of why I know at least the little bit I do know about tools. But, but I would also clean all the sawdust. Anybody know anything about sawdust? Elder Carl has a, a makeshift sort of workshop back there in that uh, storage area. And every time I walk through that, if there's been wood that's been cut recently, it smells like sawdust. And it makes me miss my dad and I have to call him and check in. But part of my job was to use one of those big shop vacs, right? And vacuum up all the sawdust. And one or two times growing up, I got a speck of that sawdust in my eye. Anybody know what that feels like? Like this thing is tiny. You can't see it at all. But how many of you know that you can feel it? Hello, you can feel it. And it is so painful. Well, what's cool about Jesus is that he grew up in the house of a carpenter too. And he knew a thing or two about wood and about sawdust. And he used it as one of the visualizations, as one of the pictures to talk about this idea of unity and conflict. Look with me in Matthew 7, starting in verse 1, Jesus himself is saying, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that little speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank, a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love that not only did Jesus grow up in the house of a carpenter, but he also was a brilliant rabbi. A brilliant rabbi that understood language. And what some of us don't know here this morning is that Jesus is doing a play on words here. You see, in the original language, the word that he uses for speck and the word that he uses for plank come from the same root word. Well, what's he saying there? He's saying that there's some of us in this room that think we are always seeing specks in other people's eyes. And so often, if we are able to see the speck in that individual's eye, it's because we have a plank of the same nature in our own. What we wrestle with within ourselves is what so often we see in the lives of others. What does that look like? Well, for me, it maybe looks like a friend walking up to me and saying, oh, 
You need to stay away from Sherry. My goodness, that Sherry is a gossip. Let me tell you about what she did. And you're like, hmm. Yeah, no, I saw Sherry. She was telling this and that and the other. And you know what? I saw her in that one club that one night and she was dancing so hard. So wait, you, you were in the club too? Hello. Sometimes we're always seeing specks because we have the plank of the same nature in our own eyes. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's, he's not saying that you're not to help remove the speck. There's just an order. First, before you ever go to that individual to talk with them about what you might see, you first have to examine yourself. Examine your own heart. Examine why you might even see that speck in the first place. Because there might be something of a similar nature in your own heart, in your own eye. I love that. Paul goes on to exhort his congregation here in Galatians verse 2 and 4 of chapter 6. Let's look at the scripture here. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. The second symbol we want you to remember is glass. Write that word down, glass. Um, when Ashley and I were uh, just newlyweds, there was this retail store that doesn't exist anymore but we, we used to frequent it, like shop for clothes there. And we liked the clothes there because mostly they were cheap, right? But, um, but, but we would go there quite a bit. But one of the main reasons why I personally liked going there and buying clothes from this specific retail store was because when I would try the clothes on in the dressing room, they just looked really good on me in the mirror. Just being honest, man. And so I would like pull a shirt off the rack and then I'd be like, I wonder how this is going to look. And I'd go to that same dressing room on that same mirror and I'd put it on and I'd be like, man, I look good. <laughs> and, and, and the re well, because this mirror, like, so, I don't know how it worked, but like it made me like look buff. I, I can't describe it. It was just like, I was like, man, I'm, I'm a buff guy, right? And so I would, I would go there. I was like, hey, can we go to that? She's like, why do you want to go to that one? Well, I just really like it. There's great clothes there. And so we'd go there, and I'd put, I'd, I'm like, man, I just, I look good, and I'm like buff, right? And then I one day went to the manager, and I said, um, man, the mirror in the men's changing room there, man, it's awesome. I mean, look how buff I am in this shirt. And he looked at me, and he said, yeah, not, not so much, man. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, that, that, that mirror's distorted. There, there's something going on with that mirror that makes you appear in a way that you really aren't, right? Because how many of you know distorted glass can change the way you see things, right? My perspective was I'm Mr. Buff guy, but no one else thought that about me. 
The reality was, you're just kind of an average guy. I had convinced myself, based on the distorted glass I was looking at, the mirror, that I was really that, but I never really was, right? There's another type of glass, which is curved glass. And this is used a lot in these right here, binoculars, right? You can bend glass and, and, and shape it in such a way that it will change the way you see things. And so we've all used these before. If you just put them up to your eyes, those things that are farther away seem to be a whole lot larger when they really aren't. But we see them in light, and, and it looks like, hey, that's, that's pretty close. In the same way, have you, have you ever done this where you flip them around and you look at them through this way? The thing that's kind of even close is like, 10 times further away. Why, why is that? Because of the shape of the glass. You can see it closer. You can see it even, even farther away, right? And I'm not going to point to anyone in this room. I'll just point to myself. There's been times in my life where I've done this with other people's sin in their life. Where because I'm high and mighty or whatever I'm going through, because my humanity creeps in, right? I put on the binoculars and I look at, oh, look at Joe. And I magnify magnify his shortcomings. My perspective is completely off. And I lose perspective of what a mess I used to be. And I start going, oh, Joe, look at him, man. He is one cocky dude, or he's caught up in A, B, and C. Um, uh, Well, let me flip it around. My pride, you know, my arrogance, my whatever, my lust, whatever it is, it's not that big of a deal. What's going on there? The glass has been distorted. It's been curved. And my perspective on the matter is off. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Beware of these things that you think are true that really aren't based on how you've perceived them. In fact, Matthew 18, Jesus goes on to talk about this exact subject. Matthew 18, verse 15, this is what Jesus says. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault Now watch this. This is the part I don't really like. Just between the two of you. If your brother or sister sins or does you wrong, you first go to them directly. Don't come and grab Pastor JF to make the initial connection. And I get this all the time. I've been in ministry for years and years, not, not just here at CFAN, other church. I have people come to me, oh, J.F. Larry did me wrong. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, bro. How can I, can, want me to pray with you? No, 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 no. I want you to go talk to him about it. And then I'll say, do you have a Bible on you? Turn to Matthew 18, right? And, and, and nine times out of 10, this is just ignorance. The person doesn't understand. And once I'd say, this is how would they, oh, okay, yeah, first of all. So, so there's a process here, right? You go first, and, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, if that isn't resolved in that conversation, then go grab your pastor. Go, go grab someone else with you. And then if the two of you go, and he still doesn't do it, then you can bring it in front of other people. But there's a process here. And Jesus is very clear about it because he's so, he's so wanting us to stay unified. And how many of you know that if the story gets tossed around all over the place, it disunifies us. Right. And I've seen a lot of people get hurt 
because of that process right there. Got four people heard about the story. The four people told other four, and it's just all over the place. And Jesus is being very clear that he doesn't want this. In fact, Peter clearly wasn't understanding this. He's like, Jesus, so how many times do you want Keep reading 18. He says, how many, how many times do you expect us to forgive the person? Like seven? He almost says it like, se- like, like seven would be crazy, right? And G- I can just see Jesus like almost shaking his head saying, no, Peter, actually seven times 70, right? He's making the point like forgiveness. You always are offering forgiveness, right? Peter's just like, what in the world? So Jesus tells another story. He goes on and he says, there was a king who wanted to get his financial affairs in order. And so he called in one of his servants who, who owed him a hundred bags of gold. And the servant was distraught and he fell at the king's feet and he said, sir, king, I'll get you the money, but allow me to go and, 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 and make payments to you. Allow me to go to work and I'll pay you back. And scripture says that the king felt such pity on him that he erased the debt of this servant on the spot. Can you imagine that? Like debt free, just like that. You can imagine how excited this servant must have been that he didn't have to pay this money back. You know what the servant did? He wanted to get his financial affairs in order. So he went to one of his buddies who owed him a simple hundred shekels of, of silver. And he said, Scripture even says, grabbed the man by the throat and said, Give me back my money. And what did that man do to this servant? The exact same thing that servant did to the king. Fell his feet. Sir, I will pay you back. Just give me some time. Let me work off the debt. And he said, no. And he had him thrown into prison. How many of you know that got around town pretty quick? The word got back to the king. The king was upset. He called on that servant. And he said, because you didn't have pity on that other man the way I had pity on you, Not only are you going to pay me back my hundred bags of gold, you're off to jail. And and a lot of us stop right there and we go, man, okay, well, we got to forgive and all this stuff. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. Look look what he says. This, this This will kind of like knot in your throat. This is what he says. Matthew 18, verse 35. He tells his story and then he said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your own heart. (laughs) Your forgiveness from God is only contingent on the forgiveness that you have for somebody else. Now, let that sink in for a second. This is one of those things where Jesus is very serious about this. If you want forgiveness, (laughs) forgive your neighbor. Forgive that person who's done you wrong so that your heavenly Father can forgive you. So remember the wood, the plank, right? Remember the glass, the distortion that can take place in your life. Get perspective on how good the grace of God has been in your own life, where you once came from, the mess that JF once was in, right before you slam somebody, right? And here's a third point. Galatians 6, verse 7. There's no coincidence that Paul wraps this section with this line, with helping us understand the importance of this and everything that it has to do with unity, 
and love and conflict resolution. Verse 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. And that's the third picture that we want you guys to leave here today with. Seeds. Everybody say seeds. 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 I want to read it again. Verse 7 says, don't be deceived. Meaning, don't fool yourself. Don't make decisions based on emotions because emotions lie to you. Don't make decisions based on what other people have said or what you've heard or what you think should happen. The reality is that God has created the universe to operate according to a few different principles. And one of them is reaping and sowing. And we understand this when it comes to gardening and farming. If you plant a cucumber seed, guess what you're going to get? Cucumbers. Come on, we can do this again. If you plant tomato seeds, what you going to get? Tomatoes. Tomatoes, or my mom would say tomatoes. That's right. If you plant carrots, you get carrots. And the reality is some of you are sitting here today and you're wanting people to be so wonderfully forgiving and generous to you. And yet, for so long, you've planted seeds of hostility. You've planted seeds of bitterness. You've planted seeds of unforgiveness. And so if you want different fruit, you got to plant different seeds. And thank God we do have that forgiveness from him. But if you want seeds of forgiveness in your friendships, seeds of, if you want fruit of forgiveness, then you got to plant those seeds. And so I want you to think through right now in your life. I posted a few weeks ago, we were laughing. I came to the reality that my muscle mass was not what I wanted it to be. I went to lift a few bags of groceries and in the past I have bragged about being freakishly strong for my size, right? And I was struggling. And I realized I hadn't been consistently at all in the gym for a year. So guess what? If I want different results, I got to do something different. It's the same thing. That's all Paul is saying here. He's wrapping this point with, hey, if you truly want unity in the body, if you truly want peace, if you truly want real friendships, real connection, real power, then you have to plant seeds that are going to yield that fruit. If you're in that situation where that person hasn't asked you for forgiveness, forgive them anyway. Plant the seed of forgiveness. If that person is doing something and is unrepentant and that person maybe is being cruel, you don't respond with seeds of cruelty. You respond with seeds of love. Why? Because God won't be mocked. 
you're going to reap exactly what you sow. Galatians 6, 8, Paul wraps it with this thought. Whoever sows to please their flesh, meaning whoever sows into what feels good in that moment, whoever sows according to the anger, right? Whoever sows according to what they feel like should be revenge or what feels like it should be exactly what they should say. If you sow to please your flesh, you'll reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I love that. As we wrap here, as the band comes back, we're going to pray here in a second, but I'm reminded, you know, Ashley's talking about these different seeds that we plant, but in Luke chapter 8, Jesus talks about the seed, like the seed of all seeds. And, and he tells a story about the seed and a farmer, a sower, but the seed he's referring to is the good news. It's the gospel. It's, it's the story. And the story goes on, and I don't have time to unpack the whole thing, where this, this sower is, is throwing out seed on different types of soil. Because here's the thing, the seeds... The seeds that you're planting are important, but it also comes back to you, and it's important that you have the right kind of soil in your soul. What kind of soil do you have? And Jesus goes on to talk. You can read it in Luke chapter 8. He talks about the, 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 the rocky path where the, where the seed is thrown on this hard, hard soil, and, and it, the, the, the seed couldn't be absorbed into the soil. The birds came, and they ate it, and, and meaning the gospel missed that person, Right? Another, another one that, you know, he talks about the seed that fell in an area where there was weeds and, and literally weeds grew up and, 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 and choked the seed that was in bloom, right? Then he talks about another type of seed of, that was rich and the, that, that the seed fell on that type of soil and, and, and the seed was absorbed to the soil. And that's the type of soil that I want. It's the, the type of soil that we should all want to, desi- to, de- to desire in our lives, but how many of you know that every seed, you, you can have it in the right soil, but it needs to be watered too? And that's a whole nother series because the watering process is called discipleship, isn't it? It's, it's called submission. It's, it's called humility. It's called accepting instruction and all of these things. If you want that seed to grow into something great, if you want the gospel that gets inside of your good soil to truly grow, that part is up to you. The seed is given freely, but it's up to you to cultivate it inside of you, pursuing more of Christ, pursuing more of what he wants for you in his life. It's coming here on a Sunday and worshiping together and being generous with your finances. All of these different things literally waters that seed of grace in the gospel that's inside of you. It's a beautiful picture. I love the picture that Jesus paints in our minds. So the question as we close here today is, what is the condition of your soil meaning in your heart, in your soul? Is it open to even receiving the seed? Maybe you're here today and that seed has been tossed out, but your heart has been hardened by it. You've had Judaizers or, or, or false teachers or people that just want nothing to do with the Lord pluck the gospel out of your soil. Maybe you're here today and you want to say, Pastor JF, I'm ready to receive it. I'm ready to receive the seed, the power of the gospel. Would you bow your heads as we close? 
Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church. 